Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of SB to MD. Today, we're joined by Dr. Chua and Alexander Solinska for a special topic, women in STEM. We explore the challenges that women in medicine face, as well as the connections and support systems they have found. So grab your headphones and let's jump in. So our first question today is going to be, what are the additional barriers that you guys see for women and medicine? I think it's very difficult because sometimes you see all these, you see males, and sometimes it's hard. There's certain specialties that are very male dominant. So for example, electrophysiology, which is a subspecialty of cardiology, most are male. So it's very difficult to kind of rise. Um, Stony Brook Medical School obviously has a lot of opportunities for females to kind of have that extra step forward and have mentorship. There's a lot of mentoring programs. I believe orthopedics and other fields, um, they have female-specific programs, and they also kind of pay for you to go to conferences. So I think that's very important to be more inclusive and have more mentors to push the barriers forward. But it is difficult. You have to push through and kind of see yourself there because you can definitely do it. Yeah, I think mentorship is super important. Um, so I actually... Um, help run one of the mentoring programs for female ICU doctors across the country. And I think that even as a fellow, like I'm five years from finishing training, but even as a fellow, most of the people that I worked with were men. Most of my co-fellows were men. I've traditionally, like in some of the more time intensive specialties, a lot of the times there was a male predominance because there was this expectation that perhaps other specialties that had a more flexible sort of schedule would be something that women would go to. I think that over the last decade, probably women are more and more often seen in these traditionally very long and demanding time intensive sort of specialties. And I think that part of it is, you know, recognition that, hey, women doctors can do this as well. And also, I think that society has to have a recognition of the sort of balances that a lot of women have to try to achieve in terms of their work-life balance. I think that as a mom and as a wife, I'm very lucky to have a husband who does really a lot of the traditionally household sort of work um, management that I just don't get to do. And I think that as society changes, hopefully we'll see a lot more women in my situation as opposed to ones that would give up something that would be much more competitive because of work-life stuff. I definitely hear and understand what both of you are saying. It can be hard to envision yourself in a position, especially as pre-med, if you do not see your face or someone who resembles your life doing it already. It can be really hard to kind of envision yourself in that role. So I asked, did you face any challenges as women during your years as pre-med and didn't get better or worse as your year progressed? So I think for me, I'll start with pre-med. I was very much, you know, didn't have a lot of that pre-med mentoring. Um, and I think the first kind of female uh, physician that put, you know, lay the, land, lay the land down was Dr. Moran. But I think as I went through the pre-med years and more into like shadowing and working, I'm also a paramedic. And I'm like, okay, well, we have females, so I can definitely do it. At that point, it was like, I'm just like everybody else. I'm going to push through and and everything's going to work out in the end. I think that my female friendships in pre-med are probably what got me through pre-med. I think that having a group of women who are also 
trying to pursue the same things that I was trying to pursue. And I was very lucky. I had a really great mentor for research um, when I was a pre-med and she was phenomenal. And so having like a good female mentor and also a lot of women around me who are trying to achieve the same thing, that's, I think, what really got me through the whole process. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you found that women kind of group together in STEM? What has that experience been like for you guys? I think yes. <laughs> I think because there's so few of us, we naturally want to help one another, like to try to, you know, achieve whatever it is that the other woman wants to achieve. There's a lot of generosity, like with women who are older than me, who have done this before me, who've had to go through a lot more than me. And, and like, I try to pass on that generosity to medical students and trainees because of what has been extended to me. So I think, yes. Um, yeah, so kind of following up on that question of the groups that women have in STEM, what programs exist for women in medicine? Also specifically Stony Book that you potentially would want to mention. So basically, I can speak to the medical school there. We have a bunch of clubs that are female oriented. There's a lot of mentorship, especially in surgery, in orthopedics. We have a lot of conferences. The well-known club is Women in Surgery. So it kind of promotes women in surgery, obviously, because they're underrepresented. So Stony Brook Medical School definitely does a really good job in promoting mentorship and clubs for uh, females to get into these specialties that are otherwise more so male dominated. And there's also like Medical Women's Association. I know that I'm always approached by medical students about the EMWA chapter at um, Stony Brook Medical School. I think on the on the main campus, the pre-med association there, um, I'm not actually sure who their faculty member is anymore. I'm pretty sure for the Asian pre-med association, that group, I believe, does have a female mentor. And so I think that our efforts to like reach out to um, main campus has not been as good as it could be, but there are definitely these groups that we're always hoping will reach out to us to ask for assistance or mentorship. So what about conferences? Because it sounds like it's really important to be able to identify other women in medicine. Do you know of any specifically women medical conferences or anything that goes on, whether on in Stony Brook or in the country, just to follow up on that question? Um, so we have a research day specifically that focuses on women in medicine. So it's definitely something that people on um, the main campus should come and see because you'll see work that's presented by our female medical students. And also most of those medical students have female mentors who mentor them through the projects. Having mentored some um, medical students through those projects, I think that it would be a really great way for a pre-med student to come and network because you have a natural sort of group of women who want to mentor people, medical students and attendings. So if I were a pre-med student on Stony Brook campus, that's probably one place I would go. I think conferences in general, if you go to them and start networking, that is like amazing experience. Even though if you might go to a conference, it's above the level of your education, it doesn't matter because you're still gonna get something out of it anyway. I totally agree with Alex. I think that part of it is just coming out of our own shells and like actually going up to people and speaking with them. 
I think that even people at my level have a difficult time doing that. It's certainly not something that a lot of introverts feel comfortable doing. But the more that you put yourself out there, I think that the more you realize that people really do want to help and would like to meet you because theoretically, you're going to be a woman in STEM and you're going to be an awesome person. And so why wouldn't somebody want to meet you? No, that's a super great point. Are you guys or have you been in any of these clubs yourself? Have you benefited from this like female membership? So like I said, I've mentored a medical student through um, one of the research projects. I definitely have had even in um, Alexandra's class, female medical student mentees who I met through um, the American Medical Women's Association group that's at Stony Brook. And I've tried to mentor them through just their thought process about going through medical school and how hard it is. And some of that, like, you know, a lot of questions about work-life balance and stuff like that. Like, as I said, I run our help run one of the mentoring programs for female ICU doctors. So we try very hard to reach out to trainees and to, um, early and mid and like later career women just to get everybody together so that, you know, at all levels, people can have some sort of mentorship. What do you wish more people were aware of when it comes to being a woman in STEM? What do you wish got a little bit more attention? You know, I think that part of it is women accessing some of these groups. So for example, I'm in another group that is right now a a little bit upset about conference location venues for the next couple of years because of access to reproductive rights in those states. And I think that the general membership of the organization, if they knew how to like advocate for that more, would be better mobilized to really as a group, communicate our concerns about medical conferences occurring in states where women lack access to basic medical care. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Do you have anything else to say? I mean, I think that part of it is the University of California systems. um, And I think that some of the New York State universities initially, there was a question about whether or not conference money, especially in the University of California, would be whether or not people from those universities would be allowed to have conference money given to them from the state to travel to states that had, for example, reproductive rights bans. This is an ongoing conversation. I think that in California, they actually decided that people could do that. But there are a lot of women who didn't attend, including myself, one of the conferences um, recently in Tennessee, because of the reproductive rights laws in Tennessee, even though conferences are a place where you can network and meet and are good for your career. But because of my particular standpoint on reproductive rights issues, I just felt that I could not give money to a state or spend money in a state where women cannot access and have equal access to basic medical care. I give a giant round of applause to anyone who is helping women get access to this kind of health care. It is a giant task, especially when you can be marginalized. But so speaking more about specifically um, experience as a woman in healthcare, have you experienced imposter syndrome and what have you done to overcome it? Because we talked before about how it can be hard to kind of envision yourself in these jobs when you don't see your face already in it. So what have you guys done to, if you have experienced imposter syndrome to stop feeling that way? 
So I kind of have experience with it. Obviously, I'm a paramedic and I work in a male-dominated environment. I have to believe in myself that I have the knowledge and the power that I can do what I'm able to do to the best of my abilities. Obviously, I still kind of had imposter syndrome walking into med school in a different way. It's very uncomfortable, unsettling feeling, but I think over time, you have to kind of tell yourself, okay, I am here. This is what it is. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be the best physician that I can possibly be. And um, you kind of slowly, I guess it slowly goes away, but I'm sure that there are some times that it's going to just sprout right back up. So I think it's a process. Imposter syndrome, I think you can wean it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back and slap you right in the face sometimes. I'm going to say therapy. Because I think that, you know, people don't wake up thinking, oh, I'm the baddest in the world, right? I'm like the person, I can do anything. But I think that you need to like sort of argue with that cognitive dissonance of thinking to yourself, I am not that imposter version of yourself. Because if you actually present yourself with all of the evidence of I went to kindergarten, I was smart, then high school, I was smart, then like college, I was smart, then I went to medical school, and I was smart, and then I had to do all this training, and I was still smart. So why aren't I the baddest in the world? Of course I am. But I think that it takes years and years and like evidence to yourself as women who are science oriented, right? The actual evidence is probably the thing that matters most to us. And so I have to tell myself all the time, it's just like, listen, girl, let me go through the list again of things. Somebody, one of my friends actually has a hype file, just like a list of things if you ever need it of things that you need to read about yourself. And as the longer, you know, go through education, the longer you go through training, the longer you work, the longer your hype file becomes, right? And so eventually you start to, like, they can't all be wrong, right? Like all of these things that have happened to you, being smart for all of these years cannot possibly have happened by accident. So you must be that person. And I think that um, therapy has helped me to come to that point. And I try to spread that message with all the women that I work with and um, train. That's a super great point. I love that you bring up mental health and therapy. That's really awesome. So how important, you mentioned this a little bit, Abby, but how important is a support system while you're in med school? Well, I'm going to say in medical school, I had the best group of female friends who like actually were just awesome. I mean, I think that going through anything difficult is always easier when that stress is spread amongst like a friend group. And so that was super, super important for me. And then like throughout all of my training, I've had just the most wonderful, not that I don't have any male friends, like certainly in fellowship, most of my friends are men because a lot of the, um, a lot of my co-fellows are men, like establishing those support systems are so important. Full disclosure, I'm married to a man who trained as a therapist. So that's great. (laughs) That's because like, you know, he understands how to talk to me when I go into one of these spirals of like, what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not smart enough? And he'll be like, hype file. So yeah, I think that those support systems are essential. And then as I said, um, I went to therapy in medical school and then uh, I started therapy in medical school. And then, you know, it's harder during residency to actually find the time to do that. So I did it a little bit during training and then much more now as an attending. And I am at like mentally the best place that I can be in my entire life. And And I really credit just caring for my mental health with me being able to extend that sort of generosity to other people. 
So I think just having supporting like female physicians through my life. Obviously, I had I was in pulmonology with Dr. Chua, and it was like having a mental breakdown because it was just so difficult. It was like winter time. It was like so dark in the morning when you went to med school, and then you got out of med school, and it was super dark. And Dr. Cho was just like amazing and kind of laid the land down of you got this, you're doing really well. And I think surrounding yourself with people who are genuine and so caring and just like come out of a place that, you know, it's like an angel sent from heaven in a way. You always have them to kind of call them or text them or, or reach out to them when, you know, something's going, you know, that's essentially what a what an amazing mentor is. And I, I hope that, you know, females who are listening right now can find those people who are like so valuable that you're just like, oh, that was just an angel sent to me. And it was just, it's just, you'll, you'll find those people, I promise you. When talking about support systems and everything, it can also be hard to understand um, as someone who may not be in the group of being like a woman in STEM, like maybe they, maybe men know what they can do to not harm it, but it's very hard for them to identify what they can do to help it. So thank you for addressing the issue of how to be supporters rather than inhibitors, speaking from potentially the male perspective. So talking about mental health, being a marginalized group in STEM can be mentally taxing. What are mental health resources that you utilize? I know, Abby, you mentioned therapy. Uh, Would Alex, would you like to add anything onto that? Um, yeah, I just think caring for yourself and having self-care, whether it's every day or, you know, exercising or, you know, whatever you need to do to make yourself mentally well, if that's like you need to kind of do me time for 20 minutes and shut your phone off and everybody and just kind of like, um, I know in medical school, sometimes like my social battery can be drained from like everybody asking me and, but I definitely, you know, take that time to regenerate and then I'm like, perked up and ready to go so that I can help others like Dr. Chua was referring to. And I think it's so important if you don't take care of yourself, you're not really going to be much use in, in society and be the person that you want to be. I think sleeping is so important. I think Dr. Chua is like a big proponent of that. I know she knows that I take melatonin every night, which is probably not the best idea. Yeah, I think, you know, sleeping is important, getting, you know, that seven hour-ish sleep, though I know no one really gets that. And I know Dr. Chua also can talk about vaping. Oh my goodness. I think that like I think that people have to take any sort of stress relief that they can because I think that just being a human being existing in this world right now is stressful. And I think especially women, I think women really try to do as much as possible in a 24-hour period and don't have that desire to multitask all the time is like so ingrained in us. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do like three loads of laundry and I'm going to read like three chapters of this book. And then I'm going to be a good friend and I'm going to be a good child. And then I'm going to be good at like school. I'm going to be good at everything. And at some point there's got to be a time for you just to be the best version of yourself, right? That you're not defined by all of these things that you're doing, but by trying to make yourself the healthiest and best version of yourself that you are. 
I think there's famously not just women in STEM, but just being a woman in general, there's this expectation to, quote, do it all, where you have to be a good mother, be a good wife, be a good daughter, be a good whatever. And it's like this idealization of you have to be giving a thousand percent to all these things at once. And it's just an unrealistic expectation to really have upon one person. It's you're still a person. You're not defined by all these things you do. still you but yeah um did you want to add anything to comment on that no I was just gonna say Angeline I'm sure that you and Mackenzie feel that too I think that everybody in every aspect like every woman in every aspect of their life thinks that they can do everything like I'm gonna clean cook study work out meditate like do every single thing you know I don't know if you guys read Harry Potter you guys are probably um, too young for Harry Potter. Okay. So you know how Hermione Granger had that like repeated clock thing where she could repeat the hours. I wanted that so badly throughout the last 20 years of my life. I'm just like, if I could just repeat the hours, I could learn like, you know, German, but you don't need to learn German. That's what I'm trying to tell myself. You don't need to do everything, right? You don't need to repeat the hours. You don't need to make like baguettes from scratch. Buy the baguettes. Don't learn German. Don't clean your house. I think that is like the most important thing for like someone to take away from this is you do not have to do it all. You are a person. Like you summarized it perfectly. It's great. (laughs) Yes, that's super important. I love that you brought that up. But kind of branching off of that, what piece of advice do you guys have for women in STEM who want to enter the medical field? One of the things is, especially for, I want to tell this to all the undergrads, I didn't do pre-med in undergrad. I actually worked for three or four years and then like did another master's before thinking, hey, maybe medical school. And so I was thinking, uh, so then like at 25 or something where I was just like, oh, maybe I should go to medical school. That sounds like a good idea. If you decide that you want to do something later in life, there are plenty of people who don't know at 18 years old what they want to do. It's even worse in other countries where like doctors have to start medical school at 16. If you don't know what you're going to do, that's not a reflection on you. That's just a reflection of the fact that you have only lived like 18, 19, 20 years of your life and that you might need some extra time. And so deciding to do something, I know Alex decided a little bit later, not that late, that there is time to do it. Like you can change course and change direction. I mean, maybe I won't be a doctor in 10 years. I mean, I could come up with a different career and that is okay. And that you always, life is a very long and wonderful process. And so sometimes coming up with a different you and a different way to be is something that we get to experience as we grow older and learn more about ourselves. I think I'm going to quote Dr. Moran because she was my idol kind of growing up as a female physician. Basically, she said, work hard and don't pay attention to the noise around you. You want to be very focused. As a female, obviously, you kind of need to kind of make sure that you have the confidence and the drive to go into medicine because it is hard. And then on top of that, you're a woman and that kind of makes it hard, but you can do it. It's just you have to know this is going to be difficult. 
I have to say, you have to gather all that like little <laughs> strength and just keep going. I kind of tell myself I'm kind of like the energizing bunny, like I'm, you know, energized to do it. And then I just have to kind of recharge myself once in a while. So I think you definitely have to work very, very hard and just be aware of your situation, but don't pay attention to like the noises around you. You have to be focused on what you have to do in STEM. That's how I kind of went through my medical journey. Thank you so much, uh, both Alex and Dr. Jewett, for telling us your advice, especially for what pre-med students now or women in healthcare now, um, what maybe you would have wanted to hear when you were at that point in your life. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you for coming on. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of SB to MD. A huge thanks to Abby for joining us and chatting about medical school, female support systems, and mental health. As always, tune in next time for another great episode of SB to MD.